It's Thursday on Spain and Fitz, and that means you can feel the excitement, the energy. It's palpable. It's in the air. That means Thursday night football and a interesting matchup between two teams <laughs> fighting for their division lead. I don't know yeah. how to sell this one. This is just going to yeah. be bad. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. We are back together for a full show tonight. Really excited about that. And we want you guys to chime in. Right out of the gate, you can be part of the Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. It's official. College football's back. So is your favorite Dr. Pepper loving college football town fansville head to a store near you to treat your inner college football fan to an ice cold 20 ounce dr pepper today sarah i think we should have a little fun on that dr pepper twitter feed uh, about the fact that we've got a giants eagles matchup that let's be real has absolutely twisted into something that i don't think anybody could have predicted just a month ago yeah i mean this is this is uh... I think that the poll that you're talking about or the Twitter feed question is, you know, could you name three active players on these teams besides Wentz and Jones? I'm going to put it up there because I think that is a question. And to your point about the the excitement is palpable. uh, We feel like I think lately Thursday night football, if we've even had it, has not been quite as dicey. But now we're back to the kind of games that uh, that we appreciate and accept as this is what you're going to get and you're going to like it. I think Mina Kimes said it was like gas station food, but she's still going to she's still going to take down a handful of, of lukewarm pizza. I think that's kind of what we're feeling tonight with this. Like we're going to watch <laughs> it because there's things on the line, but we're not going to like it. I mean, I I look back at that, and and you make the point about Thursday Night Football. 2020 seems to be that year that challenges everything that I've ever said. Like, it's a (laughs) prove-it year, right? The number of times I feel like I've said, hey, just put the trash matchup on Thursday night because we're all so desperate for football, we'll watch anything. This one's really going to test that theory because, uh, frankly, I'm surprised that we're here with one of these two teams. I mean, obviously, the Giants were a rebuild in process, and we weren't sure exactly what to expect from a new coaching staff for the development of Daniel Jones, and all of that took a step back when Saquon Barkley was hurt. But on the Eagles' side, and I understand they've been decimated by injuries, but still, when you've got Doug Peterson and you've got Carson Wentz, then you feel like at the very least, sir, you've got hope. And if you have hope, you expect to look good. This Eagles team has just looked bad. Bad, and they've looked bad repeatedly to the point that everybody's scratching their head and saying, I don't know how to fix it other than health. I don't know how you fix it. I don't know how you make the team relevant this season. And I don't know how Philly as an organization reacts if this thing turns into a four win year. Yeah, you know, something that you said when we were talking uh, NBA bubble and what it could mean for the Clippers or the Bucks or any other team that didn't live up to expectations and just how people would view the results of something that was so abnormal. I don't know if that's happening in the NFL as well. Or are you looking at this and saying, this is all the proof you need that Wentz is not your guy for the future, even though this is a Super Bowl team that ultimately Wentz wasn't able to perform during that Super Bowl. That was, of course, the greatest quarterback of all time, Nick Foles. But, you know, (laughs) that, that question still lingers, right? With Daniel Jones, you lose a whole season of knowing whether you've got a guy or not because all of his weapons are out, right? The best, the best part of that team, that run game is completely obliterated and you don't really get a good look at what Jones would be if you had actually, you know, staffed the team that he was supposed to be throwing to and handing off to. So it's not just the bubble, it's the injuries, but 
put it all together and what actual takeaways are you getting, especially when you're simultaneously in the running for potentially the top division spot and potentially the top spot in the draft at the same time? Like, how late in the game is it to be week seven and have both of these teams in the running for both of those at the same time? Which is just absolutely insane to me. And and then I start looking at it and thinking, okay, well, at some point during the season, it's got to normalize. At some point, these teams will look the way we expect, especially Philly. Again, I think because I, I do believe, like, I, maybe this is my, my, one of my many flaws as a football fan, Sarah, but mm-hmm. when I see greatness from a quarterback during the course of a year, if I can see it even one time, then I look at it and say, okay, if we've seen that the quarterback is there. capable of that, yeah. then, it needs, then there's, I'm not willing to give up on that quarterback until we have just been through the mud. And that's kind of how I feel about Carson Wentz. Like, we've seen him be so good. And Doug Peterson has the pulse of how to call an offense so much that it just doesn't make sense to see these kinds of struggles. And I found myself in a group thread on Sunday. Go ahead. I got two words for you for that, though. Jay Cutler. (laughs) Oh, that is How many contracts did he get because people saw his arm and his ability to do great things but he never could learn, and that's the fear, I think, with Wentz is not the ability, but but can you put it together consistently? Yeah, and that's a fair question because, uh, you know, I, I found myself texting some buddies on Sunday watching the Eagles lose and saying, okay, how does this get fixed for Carson Wentz particularly? And, and you know, part of the argument's health, but the other part of it is I don't know. I mean, when you hear people saying, okay, he's trying to do so much, and Dan Orlovsky I think did a nice breakdown over the course of the week saying, hey, he's playing better than we think. But we also laugh at that because there's a perception that Dan is at least at this point a Carson Wentz apologist, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like everybody's so dug in on a pro or anti-Carson conversation that it's hard to even have a real nuanced mindset around what happens if this thing goes off the rails. I mean, if you're Philly and Carson plays like trash all year and you finish – with four wins, I, I don't know how everybody keeps everything in place and just decides to run that back. I agree, but again, the injuries, how do you separate and isolate his play from expectations? I mean, the last week, they, they lost to Baltimore 30-28, to made that game very close, and by the end of it, only Wentz and Jason Kelsey were healthy among the preseason starters on offense. God. That's it. They're supposed to get back to Sean Jackson. They're supposed to get back Lane Johnson. That'll help. But Miles Sanders and Zach Ertz are both out after getting hurt against the Ravens. You keep taking away pieces from him. And, of course, you, you've we've seen quarterbacks do good things, even without the healthiest players and even with backups. But how much time do you have to prep with the guys that you're going to be out there with? And how often has he had an offense to practice with that isn't the same one on game day? And, and, you know, is the game plan changing drastically once someone gets taken off the field? I mean, there's a lot of, I think, behind the scenes that we would need to know about to have a better and more accurate idea of just how much he's failing and how much is is on everything going on around him. Is there any logic then? Which I is mean, the same just, as Jones, by the way. If we if we had like a real, just a, an honest conversation here uh, with, with no fan hat on for anybody, right? And you look at it and say, okay. If you're Philly and you know that injuries are really what's holding you down, do you just sit everybody and tank through the rest of the year just to get as much draft capital as possible? Like, if this year's dead, do you just go? I I mean, I usually would never say that, Sarah. But It's a tough situation because, you know, again, this division is so bad that they have five combined wins among them all, and anybody's in it. So do you want to, for whatever monetary reasons, merch sells, sales and morale and whatever else do you want to have that on your record as you made another playoff run even if you know that you're not going to compete with the best teams 
Do you want to risk tanking and then not being bad enough to compete with the worst of the worst? And then what exactly are you getting for that wasted season and the morale again that goes with that intentional? We always talk about there's no such thing as real tanking in football because of safety and everything else. So it's a really risky plan to, to, to go for the loss, especially when you've got the likes of the Jets out there that are going to find a way to be worse than you, no matter how hard you're trying to be bad. You make a really good point. And again, I'll keep saying if it's health, maybe they get healthy by the playoffs. And if all they do is win six games, but suddenly they get healthy, mm-hmm. they win their division at six and ten. In today's COVID world, you never know what they'll be up against in the playoffs. I'm just looking or for a six be and playoffs. Ten. <laughs> Oh, that is fair. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive, proud to honor our veterans by donating cars to move their lives forward, especially in times in need. Learn more about their Keys to Progress program and plans for 2020 at keystoprogress.com. Speaking of COVID-19, it is rocking the NFL schedule again. The Sunday night game has already been changed. We'll tell you about it. Plus, will the Raiders Buccaneers even be able to get on the field? We'll give you the latest next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Another day and another week in the NFL, which means we have more breaking COVID news that will impact the schedule. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. I'm Jason Fitz with Sarah Spain. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And Sarah, at this point, we now know, according to a tweet from Adam Schefter earlier in the day, the Buccaneers at Las Vegas Raiders game that was slated for Sunday night has been moved to 4.05 p.m. Eastern the Seahawks-Cardinals game now moved to Sunday night at 8.20 p.m. Eastern. That's happening because that assures, according to the league, the opportunity to have a Sunday night game because as of right now, we don't know if my beloved Raiders have enough healthy players to go out and play a game. For anyone that hasn't seen right tackle Trent Brown, who's only played in one game this season, uh, has now landed on the COVID-19 list after testing positive with COVID-19. And as a result, all of the rest of the offensive linemen that were around him uh, have been deemed to be close contact. They're waiting to see where their tests lie and how this falls follows uh, falls through. But at some point, we'll have to look at the entire offensive line and Jonathan Abram all sent home because of COVID-19. We have no idea if they'll be able to play by Sunday. So they make a schedule change and yet another move by the NFL as weekly they seem to do to try and work around COVID. Yeah, Fitz, it leaves the Raiders with just five offensive linemen on their active roster and then two practice squad offensive linemen. Uh, The NFL rules do say that teams must have at least eight on their 48-man roster for game day. So if they can't dress at least eight of them, they would be allowed only a maximum of 47 active players. I don't even know how that works. I don't know how the NFL is deciding, and it seems to be a case-by-case basis whether you are too incapacitated by this to be able to play and we have to move it or whether you 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 know soldier on without key pieces. We saw of course with the Patriots that they played without Cam Newton. It was an isolated incident. They had kept the spread, but they played without their starting quarterback. And then we saw in other instances teams that were incapable of in theory fielding a team or at least were deemed to have enough of a spread to not be safely able to play. How they decide that um and and for the Raiders what this means for them is not just how many total players, but if they're all the same linemen and and again because they were with uh brown there's no there's no assurance that they have it they just need to go through this testing protocol but if they do test their way into being available they won't have practiced at all so like this situation it it bodes terribly for the team regardless of the outcome well yeah and if postponement which many people that i've talked to around the team seem to think that that's part of what the team is bracing for postponement 
is the final outcome of this. Let's also keep in mind that that means the Raiders will then have a short week before taking on the Browns, who have turned out to be very good this time at times this year. It's also of note, and I think it should be noted, according to multiple reports, part of the reason this is de- difficult is that Trent Brown, uh, the NFL believes, uh, not only wasn't wearing his tracking device to show everybody where he's been, but uh, according to reports, the NFL has video footage of Trent Brown being out and about without a mask on in social situations uh, around Las Vegas. So now what you Mm. have is a lineman that may or may not have been following protocol in how he acts, definitely wasn't following protocol in what he was wearing, and as a result, they don't know how far this all traces or who to keep out of the game. It puts the Raiders behind the eight ball because if he'd been wearing all of that, uh, the necessary equipment, there is at least the argument that the entire offensive line wouldn't be forced to sit mm-hmm. out while they await these tests. So Trent Brown wow. hurting the team dramatically with his own actions. And Fitz, very interesting to see how the team will react. We remember in baseball the way the Indians reacted to Clevenger, knowing that he was out and about and potentially risky and getting on the team plane and lying to his teammates eventually led to him being traded. And in this case, it's not, well, we're all doing our best and somehow we still got it. We don't know if it was a family member or the grocery store and yada, yada. This is, I'm intentionally doing something outside of protocol or potentially because I know I'm breaking protocol. That's going to be a lot tougher to sell to your teammates and coaches. Yeah, especially for somebody that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, has only played in one game this year because of injury. Mm. And there's been some conversation about a huge contract that he gets and the fact that the team may or may not have been in love with sort of his want to be on the field at times. So when he plays, he's an epic difference maker for the Raiders. But this was supposed to be a key Sunday night game. And this is where the Raiders have again, bought the, the league, I should say, has pushed themselves into a corner because the Raiders have now come off their bye. They don't have another place right. to just stick this game. So the NFL the has got to find a way to I get think a it's play. inevitable. Yeah, I think it's inevitable. We're going to see some, some, some moving around of schedules or some removing of games if necessary. Carry on is right. I'm not even get into when we were talking spanking, although I'm guessing there will be a couple spankings in college football this week as we figure out who's ready to go and who's still in the very extended offseason. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, joining us to talk about Big Ten football and its return from the Big Ten Network. Dave Revson on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. Dave, what's going on? Hello, Sarah. Hello, Jason. Good to talk to you both. You too. Before we even get into this weekend's action, I want to ask as someone who is sort of the face of the Big Ten Network, as much as you can honestly share, since I'm sure you know you want to put a positive spin, what's it been like there uh, for this lengthy wait time as you anticipate football and maybe during that time when you weren't sure if you were going to even have it? First of all, Sarah, I'm a bastion of honesty. I will always <laughs> answer you honestly. Uh, I would say, you know, certainly initially when it looked like the Big Ten wasn't going to play at all back in August, I mean, that's a really challenging spot to be in. I mean, it just, you know, what do you do for programming? Just kind of those logistical questions of, of how we were going to fill the air waves. And, and so I think it's disappointing. I, you know, there was no question about it at the time. It was kind of like, man, this, this is it's a real bummer. Uh, I'd say enthusiasm now is incredibly high. We ended up with a great schedule. We're going to have more conference games than we've ever had. We're going to have every team on our air at least twice, which we do every year, but often it's a non-conference one and a conference game the other. But you know, obviously since there are no non-conference games, we'll have all conference games. So we have a loaded schedule and we have four games this weekend, including one tomorrow night. So we, we are fired up, but 
yeah, there was a there was a month or so there where people were a little down, no question. So, Dave, we saw the SEC come in after the Big 12, and I expected the SEC would play better because they had more time. That wasn't the case as all, at all as their defenses have looked uh, really poor across the board. So when I look at the Big Ten, I keep thinking, okay, they've had more time. Maybe they'll look cleaner. What are your expectations for how these teams will actually look when they hit the field? It has been interesting how far behind the defenses have seemed to be. And, and I think a lot of that, just from talking to coaches across the country, is tackling. And we saw it that first weekend where Ken Niamatololo from Navy basically said, yeah, we basically didn't tackle at all. <laughs> it was kind of like, yeah, it showed in that game against BYU. So I would guess, you know, maybe if you're a Big Ten coach, you kind of learn from what's going on elsewhere, just as I think you can learn from COVID protocols and you can learn from kind of what's worked and what hasn't worked from a health perspective from other leagues. Maybe you learn what has worked and what hasn't worked uh, in terms of, practice and and how much you how much contact you have in your practices so look the big 10 is a league that is based on defense as you know jason i mean there are a lot of really good defenses year in and year out in this league i would be surprised if the defenses look abysmal across the board but i you know i guess you never know i mean i've been flabbergasted in in watching alabama you know particularly two weeks ago against Ole miss so who knows uh we we shall see well we'll find out here uh, in the next 48 hours Dave Rebson of the Big Ten Network with us here on Spain and Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast, by the way. Dave, you know, when they delayed the start of the season, it was because of safety measures. The, the doctors and the advisors were telling Big Ten heads that this was the right move, that it wasn't feasible to play. So presumably, along with that delay came changes in testing and in investments, including from the highest levels of our country, in giving the kind of money necessary for that testing. But that means that they're starting later and they are starting now at a time where numbers of COVID are going up across the country and expectations are for it to get drastically worse with the cold weather, more people spending time inside, et cetera. How realistic is it to start the season at a time when it feels like this is potentially going to get more out of control than it has even since the beginning of the pandemic? Yeah, Sarah, I mean, look, obviously a great question. I don't think the Big Ten did a great job in August of explaining its rationale for not playing. Um, And I think it was actually pretty clear cut. Uh, I I guess I just think in all of the craziness they didn't necessarily articulate, I think it really came down to for them. They did not want to put players on the field if they were not 100% sure they didn't have COVID and or as close to 100% sure as you can be. And the only way to do that is daily testing. And the daily testing wasn't there yet. They weren't at a level where they felt like they could do it. Now, I think they did a great job, to their credit, of articulating why they were coming back in September and why they thought they could pull it off to your question of, of you know, again, you couldn't have anticipated that the cases would be spiking a month and a half or so later. But this notion of testing everyone every single day, and again, it's not just the players in the Big Ten, it's every support personnel, every coach, every trainer, everyone who goes out on the field gets a test every single day so that you can isolate the people who would test positive and then you wouldn't have to do as much contact tracing because they would not have played. They wouldn't have practiced on the day where, where they had COVID. So, so that's the kind of the logic behind it. So I do think given that protocol, the big 10 has as good a chance as anyone, but I mean, I was talking to the commissioner yesterday and, and he was telling me, you know, yeah, I mean, obviously there is the issue of there is no built in, uh, by weeks. There aren't any. Everyone plays every week. So if games aren't played, 
There's no way to make them up. And, and I think it would be foolish to go into this, look at what's happened in the other leagues, and not say there is a very strong possibility the games are going to be canceled. I mean, I'd be stunned if, if they weren't. I just think the Big Ten feels like because they're testing people every single day, they have as good a chance as you could possibly have of having the fewest games possible be canceled. And to me, that's, that's the rationale, and that's what they're shooting for. So, Dave, you just mentioned the fact that there's a chance they're going to play less games than everybody else because of the scheduling. Now, I keep putting myself in the playoff committee's shoes thinking about the eye test that they all use as they figure out who's great. So when you think about this schedule coming in, I mean, the more football we've seen from the rest of the college football community, the more we've seen sort of cracks in the armor for a lot of these teams. If you're a Big Ten coach, are you coming in saying, hey, we got we to gotta run it up, we got to look awesome every game, we got to run the score to whatever it takes because that's our only shot at sort of impressing if we're going to play less games? I don't know. I mean, I hear what you're saying, Jason. I guess I just think that in this year, I think that we look at the – I don't think that you're going to be penalized for playing fewer games, right? I don't think they're going to say, well, one league played eight and one league played nine and one league played ten. The Big Ten's going to play nine including that championship weekend, assuming everyone plays every game. I don't think there's that big a difference. I, I, I think they're going to be more willing to compare nine games to 11 games and just say, let's, let's just look at what we saw, whatever their body of work is, and consider a team on those merits. I, I know in college football, we'd love to get that out of shape about, you know, particularly conference games, Big Ten plays nine, SEC plays eight. Big Ten fans love to scream and holler and say, well, that's not fair. And if we played an FCS team instead of playing, you know, a, a team from the Big Ten, they, they would have won that game. And, and, and I get it. That's what fuels college football every year. It's part of what makes college football fun, frankly, is like those, those differences in the schedule. But I really think this year, maybe I'm fooling myself and maybe I'm just, you know, off in la-la land thinking everything's going to be okay. But I, I think people are going to be far more willing this year to kind of say okay this is the committee's choice and they're going to choose four teams and we realize that there's going to be differences in these schedules and you just have to accept it because it's built in it's it's baked into the cake this year so i don't know again i guess talk to me in in december when when people are screaming and yelling from the rooftops (laughs) but but for now i feel like I, I don't know. I mean, I think you're going to have you're going to have one team from four different leagues, and you have one league left out. I mean, I mean to me, that's kind of what it feels like. But but who knows? Dave Repson of the Big Ten Network with us here on Spain and Fitz. We're almost out of time. So so quickly, based on reporting or, or people you've talked to at different schools, does anyone seem more ready for this or more prepared? Or maybe is there a team that feels like they've lost a lot of time or, or is going to come in a little rustier? Well, I think it's most challenging for schools. First of all, that there were differences in, in who had spring practice and who didn't. Purdue had more spring practice, Northwestern had a little more spring practice. So those schools, particularly ones that were switching coordinators, were able to get some install in. I mean, think about Rutgers and Michigan State, no spring practice, new head coaches. You have new coordinators on both sides, both sides of the ball. So to me, that's the challenge there, Sarah. I haven't really explicitly said to anyone, are you ready? Are you not ready? But I think the fewer moving parts you have, the fewer changes you have in terms of installing new systems, the better a chance you have of succeeding. So, again, you can kind of go through the league and and figure out who that is. Yeah, similarly to the uh, analysis we had early on in the NFL, how much carryover, how much consistency and continuity do they have? Hey, Dave, thanks for the insight. Enjoy the weekend. Great to talk to you both. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Jason. Take care. Thanks, Dave.
Check out Dave Revson on the Big Ten Network. He was brought to you by Shell V Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. We'll get to a little bit more Big Ten football and specifically something about University of Michigan a little bit later. But coming up, we're going to do our pick six for the NFL weekend since we don't have a full show tomorrow. So look forward to that next year on Spain and Fitz. Thursday night football tonight, Giants-Eagles. We asked you earlier if you had to, could you name three active players on each team besides the quarterbacks? A handful of you did including at one Kumar underscore NFL, who said, just realized I can name multiple wide receivers and running backs and quarterbacks on every single NFL team. And this is depressingly useless knowledge. Jaguars <laughs> took me the longest. He told us that on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. That's news from the Spain and Fitz nation. And that is kind of a waste of brain space, particularly now, but good on you, kid. I like it. I mean, we, we need we need people like you out there who are just that into football that you're willing to watch whatever slop we get tonight. Uh, you guys can join us on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Send us tweets at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, and be a part of the Spain and Fitz nation. It is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, we're going to do our pick six for the NFL weekend now because tomorrow is just a quick one-hour show before the World Series game. Solo Spain, and I want to do this while Fitz is here. Uh, no uh, excuses for Fitz. I don't want to have him picking games that he then changes uh, in order to try to bulk up that record. As usual, if you have stuck with this show for long, you know that I always win when we bet anything, and the uh, trend continues. I'm 24-5 and five after week six. He is 21-8-1. and one. It's closer than I would like it to be. I'm hoping that this changes things. Fitz, what is your first game of the week? Uh, by the way, Sarah, I don't feel great about any of this. By the way, I went 0-5 <laughs> last week in the college football shows Ooh. picking. So it was the worst weekend I've ever had. But I feel Ooh. like, you know, the problem is I started celebrating too early. I was doing really well. I did a little dance on one of the shows. Karma hit me. So now I'm back mm. and humble. And uh, we're going to start with a little college football action. I'll start with Michigan over Minnesota. They like this. We're going to start with the ABC game. And look, I, I said I would do the ABC game every week. This one's almost impossible because we've seen no action from either of them. So all I can base it on is talent and coaching. And as much as I love uh, Fleck and everything that's happened in Minnesota, as much as I want to believe that we can row the boat, no, Michigan's going to win this game out of the gates. Michigan's got a lot to play for. I believe they're going to come out hot and heavy. So I'm going to take Michigan on the ABC game, and uh, then I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. Uh, quickly, by the way, I believe that your last pick of the week is not for this week. So maybe double check that and change that before we get to it. So we can okay. make sure we know, uh, that you've picked six games that are this week. Well, I mean, you never <laughs> said just... they had to be this week. That would help my odds. That would definitely <laughs> would help, help my your odds. odds. If you picked games that were existing, my first game of the week is the Ravens over Minnesota. And I think you mentioned a Bill Barnwell stat that just blew your mind. The Vikings had something around a 50% likelihood of making the postseason when this season began. It has slid down to 5%. A minus 46.3% change as they sit at 1-5. in five. That is obviously a Ravens team we still feel very strong about, so I'm easily taking the Ravens over a very ugly Vikings team. You know what? I like that logic so much, I'm changing my last pick. I'm I'm doubling what? up. You I'm just flat out copying you. Thief. I am thief. Yo, no, I'm thieving that. Like, you, you, you're absolutely right. That was a better pick than the one that I had that wasn't even playing this week. Rules. So I might as well steal we one. We need rules around here. From <laughs> I mean, the Ravens over Minnesota is an easy one. And I was sitting there listening to you thinking, how did I not pick that game? And then I realized, <laughs> wait, 
And now I did. The world doesn't have to know, Sarah. Does man, that count for me? We're going to take man, it. And listen, right. I'm going to I'm gonna start keeping my picks to myself. I'm not even going to put them on the dock just in case you mosey on over. Rules are no steal, fun, Sarah. Steal mine. Uh, the next pick is uh, another one that you probably got because you finally picked up on the easiest trick in the game, which is pick whoever's playing the Jets. And when that is the Bills, especially feel good about it, a Bills team that desperately needs a W after dropping two straight. Very talented team. I still feel very good about the Bills. I still feel the same about the Jets. Was it? They are just absolute trash. Uh, there's a great Onion article. Adam Gase says, now is not yet the time to destroy Trevor Lawrence. Uh, it's just too real. I'm taking the Bills. Can we Look, just, I, can you guys start picking the Giants too no. with this? No, 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 no. They show some life every once in a while. The Jets never do. Yeah, no, I want the easy games here, Chris Mitchell, the Jets fan, uh, chiming in on this. No, I want the easy game all day. Look, if there's anything I learned from you, Sarah, it's that the <laughs> first thing you do playing this game of picking <laughs> is you find the Jets, you pick yeah. the other team. So, mm-hmm. yes, of course, I will say this. I think the Bills are going to slam the Jets. It's not even gonna, It's going to be a decimation. But I have no idea what that's going to tell us about the Bills, who we'll still have some real question marks about because they're beating up on bad teams. So, you know, obviously I still believe in the Bills. But, yeah, they'll get that win easy. Uh, I'm in on that one. Let me see if you got this one. I I decided to get a little, you know, I took a little bit of a chance, a little bit of a little little bit of a chance here. I'm taking Dallas. I'm taking Ah. the Cowboys over the Washington football team. At some point, this thing has to right itself. And what easier way than to do it than to beat Washington? So it just feels like if there's ever going to be a game where Dallas has to win, it's this one because things will get ugly quickly in Dallas if they can't beat Washington. I think they've already gotten ugly, man. I don't know what you're waiting for. Uh, you, you need full That's carnage fair. in order to assign the ugly label to the Cowboys. I think last week was yes. more than ugly enough. But this was one I almost selected, and I do agree with the logic here. I do think Washington is just what they're looking for in this matchup. They need to pick themselves up. I'm just really not sure because the Cowboys' defense is so bad, and that team looked so broken last week. I don't know if I can for sure say that I would pick them against almost anyone other than, of course, the aforementioned Jets. So uh, good luck with that one. I'm going instead Packers over Texans. This Packers team Ooh. needs to pick themselves up after a beatdown from the Bucks that was ugly. Aaron Rodgers getting picked apart. People saying he's a front runner, not a guy who can come back, has a under 500 win percentage in games where his team trails by even a point at any time. He wants to prove himself again. He got the curse of the double pump, right? He came a little early with the Hingle McCringleberry, and then he immediately threw two picks. So he's going to come out strong against a Texans team that is one in five. Yeah, you have more courage than I do, which we already knew. But I wasn't <laughs> strong enough to pick that. I was, I was a little scared of this one because I'm not sure. I mean, the Texans smart were what, what a strange for, call away enough. from getting themselves into this one. But <laughs> you know, that's okay. Uh, look, I'll rip the bandaid off. I have to pick the Raiders every single week. I might as well get to that game now, even though we're not even sure it's going to be played. Uh, but if it is played, unfortunately, the book is very simple. If Tom Brady is not absolutely just beat up on then he's going to beat you that's the book on Tampa Bay unfortunately for the Raiders despite the second half against Kansas City and some of the numbers there they haven't had a particularly reliable pass rush I'm not sure they can get after Tom Brady so even though I believe that the Raiders can soar on the Buccaneers and frankly on anybody and keep an eye on Tampa Bay likes to blitz Derek Carr's been very good against the blitz this year I think he's got a real opportunity there but the problem is I don't think they're going to be able to slow down Tampa Bay's offense so in a shootout I think the Buccaneers will beat the Vegas Raiders uh it's a good one I was tempted 
But I think uh, the Raiders' offensive line probably should have put me over the edge there. I should have gone with that one. But instead, and I'm going to make this quick so <laughs> we're running out of time line. here. I've got three more picks to make and we're running out of time. Seahawks over the Cardinals. The Seahawks' offense is just unstoppable. And even though the Cardinals have shown some life, they're still a team I can't figure out. I have figured out the Seahawks. Their defense might get torched a little bit in that one, but they're still going to be good enough to get the win. I like it. What do you got next? I got the Bears taking on the Rams, and this was a tough one for me because I've seen some things from the Rams this year that have made me pretty optimistic about them returning to form of two years ago. Uh, But when I can't decide and the Bears are involved, it has served me well to pick them because they keep winning games somehow, some way. So I'm going with the Bears. I like that one. My last one here is Kansas City. I think the Chiefs are going to beat the Broncos. feel pretty good about Mahomes and the Chiefs and where they are. This seems like an easy one to me. I've got that one as well. I've got the Chiefs beating the Broncos. I was very surprised to see what the Broncos did to the Patriots, but it felt like it was 100% about the lengthy delay before that game happened and more about the discombobulated Patriots than it was about the Broncos suddenly becoming a team to be feared. So I feel pretty confident about picking the Chiefs in that one. That's our pick six. We'll see who advances. We'll see who takes a nosedive. We'll see who was smart and brave versus who just copied someone else's selections. Uh, I think we all know the answers to all those questions. Spain and Fitz on ESPN <laughs> Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason <sighs> Fitz. We're out here. Hey, look, we told you we were going to pick six games. I never told anybody we were going to play. <laughs> we were going to pick six games that were actually being played this weekend. I mean, yeah, I uh, have no idea. I don't know what I was. I can't find any schedule where I saw Ravens Vikings. They just did a trade together. Maybe they were near each other on a line somewhere. And I was like, that's a good one. I'll pick them. So we've got to make a make. Although you know, you told everybody we were going to make it right. I figured we could just let COVID nineteen take the game and then no, just not. No, even I'm, I want to make a pick because I'm stealing your pick of Tampa over Vegas since Vegas won't have an offensive line. Oh, look at you stealing Tampa. Okay, fine. If you're just going to go willy nilly and steal a pick, I'm stealing pack- no, Packers you over already Texans. Stole one from me. You don't get to oh. steal two. Dang it. You got so many rules. I can't even keep up with these. Like, you know, fine, fine. I will pick a different game and I will go back to the one that I was going to pick originally that, you know, I may have put the wrong team name on initially. I will take the Chargers over the Jags. All right. I'm getting back in the action. Chargers over the Jags. So, okay. Uh, also, I'm really glad that game. you completely believe me when I said you already stole one when the one you stole was a game that doesn't exist. So technically you didn't steal any, but I still prevented you from stealing another one. I think your punishment should be (laughs) no picking of the Jets next week for either of you. Hell no. No, 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 I'm going to take it. You can't take away my crutch. I still need to Rule number one is take the easy wins, Mitchell. (laughs) Or in your case, the easy losses. Just just take them. Just take the L, buddy. Like, it's okay. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Let's get to some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And look, Sarah, as you know, I cover a lot of college football for the network. And one of the jokes, and I do mean jokes that we've been having over the last couple of weekends watching games, is try and tell anybody who the fourth or fifth best team in the country is. There just mm-hmm. aren't very many good teams. Now, you got Clemson, obviously, that's looks spectacular, and Alabama, even though their defense has at times been suspect, looks like they, they belong in that conversation as well. But outside of that, you could argue that, frankly, there are holes in Notre Dame. There's holes at North Carolina. Georgia couldn't get it done. So I look across the board and say we're desperate for the Big Ten to come back because not only does that mean Ohio State's going to play, in theory, at least Penn State, Wisconsin, other good teams are going to have the opportunity to come out and show that they belong because they're just aren't many good teams 
Yeah, I mean, this is adding yet another wrinkle to an already very confusing season with games postponed, games uh, that probably will never even take place, uh, questions about testing, and now you throw in the Big Ten. And one of the interesting things for the Big Ten is how differently they are going to handle testing. I mean, that's a... Like, I, I, on the one hand, I look at it and say, great. I mean, strict testing is awesome, Sarah. But on the other hand, I mean, if it's a false positive and a coach misses three weeks, what impact does that have to a team? So, you know, that's part of what makes this impossible right now. The fact that everybody has different standards and practices. How do I know? I mean, God forbid somebody, uh, a coach of, of relevance in the Big Ten gets it. All of a sudden their team loses their coach for three weeks. They lose a couple of games. How are we supposed to judge that? Yeah, and I think that they might end up doing what we saw with with Saban, where that was a new rule. That day, that was nine days old by the time it applied to him. I imagine that the Big Ten, if they start to get concerned about false positives, uh, will probably take potential steps to change that rule. I, I'm Fitz. We mentioned this when we talked to Dave Revson. I think my biggest concern here is we're looking at a country that is. In, in many states, has numbers higher than at any other time during the pandemic. Particularly, and I just tweeted out a story with this map, the spread in rural areas. It used to be concentrated in cities and suburbs. I had an expert on my podcast talking about how plenty of people in rural areas saw it as a New York problem or other, a big city problem because they didn't see it in their own neighborhoods. They didn't listen to social distancing and mask requirements and recommendations. And now the spread is massive across many parts of the country that are the homes to these Big Ten teams. One of those is Ann Arbor. And Fitz, we talked about this months ago. In fact, it was Spain and company, so I wasn't even talking to you about it about the idea of separating athletes from everybody else. In Ann Arbor right now, they have a shutdown order, a stay-in-place order, where nobody at that school is allowed to leave unless they are going to get medication, food, and they are allowed to exercise in groups no larger than two. They can only occasionally attend instructional labs that they need to do in person. Otherwise, they are supposed to stay inside their residences, and none of this applies to athletes. How are you going to have a whole school shut down and just have the football team out playing sports and traveling and moving around? And I don't have an answer for that. Like, here's the thing. The the craziest part about that, Sarah, is I want to be able to come in with an answer. Like, I want to be able to, you know, even if it means clapping back and saying, okay, well, there's a reason. I want to find it because I I love getting to cover college I mean, it's got to be the testing that they'll say. Oh, well, we have tests for our football players every day. So we'll know if they're going to spread it. So then every other student at Michigan is going to say, oh, so that money that the government gave was only to test the football players here. We're not worried about the thousand cases on our campus of everybody else. And and here's the uncomfortable hypocrisy of it all. Like a school has a couple of basic tenets that they have to stand on. One is they're going to educate you, at least in theory, to help you get ready for the next chapter of your life. Two is they're going to maintain safety while they do that to the best of their ability. Now, I know a lot of people will come in and say, well, you know, kids party on campus is fine. Uh, But those parties are not sanctioned events that are are sort of required by the school. Right. Like there's a big difference between, hey, we told you guys not together, get together and you've chosen to go to a frat Mm -hmm. party is far different than, hey, you if you want your scholarship, you're going to have to play. Yeah. I mean, so it it feels dirty at, at its core and. You know, and for the kids, what choice do they have? I mean, if they choose not to play, they're basically ending their opportunity to continue to move forward in football. Like, that's not a spot a kid should be in. 
Yeah. And and again, to your point, this is showing us we know what's good, and that's to shut down. But we also know what makes us money. And in those cases, we're going to allow you to be guinea pigs and get together while we consider this an urgent and crit- critical situation on our campus. And by the way, that's some straight talk. Straight talk, wireless, no contracts, no contracts, uh, no contracts, no compromise. Sorry. And that's why, you know, I have the opportunity to work with Trevor Scales a lot on college football. Trevor played for Harvard, and he always reminds me, hey, when there's no money at stake and smart institutions are looking around figuring out what to do, they told you the, the decision, and it's very simple. They're simply not playing. So I know nobody wants to hear that with the Big Ten coming back, but it's real. Coming up next, the World Series going on. We're going to get some expertise from right in the thick of all of it. Coming up next on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Two games in, got a tie in the World Series. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Joining us now to talk about the World Series, nodded at a game apiece, Jessica Mendoza, who made history this week as the first woman to serve as a World Series game analyst on any platform. Been calling the games for us on ESPN Radio. Jess, thanks so much for giving us some time during what I know is a very busy time for you. Absolutely. It's, it's an awesome time. I mean, come on, it's 2020. Everything's pretty crazy anyway. So, right. <laughs> Plus, I love talking to you guys. So, uh, I remember talking to you on a little fun Zoom call we had with some of the gals a little bit ago, just some wine and some catching up. And you said you had called some games from like the middle of like the middle of the woods. Even um, what's the setup when you're calling these World Series games? Where are you? Who's with you? What what's it like? Well, it's a little different from my home setup, which was like in the middle of the forest kind of thing. I mean, not really <laughs> my house. I live out in the woods in Oregon. Um, but I've actually been in Bristol, Connecticut, where ESPN is headquartered for two weeks now. Um, so a different kind of bubble. Anyone who's been here knows the bubble that is, is Bristol. Um, but it is nice to actually be sitting next to the people I'm calling the game with, especially for something like the World Series, three-person booth. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, so it's been good to be here instead of out, out in the middle of the woods on my own, you know, calling these huge games. But it's, it's been good to at least be able to smack the guys that are next to me or, you know, be able to have that body language, um, when to talk, when not, all that stuff. Look, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm continually finding out that Sarah's a part of these awesome Zooms and wines. She's like, I enjoy oh. these things, too. I can come on and hang out <laughs> with everybody. Next time you can hang with the gals. Yes, that's all I'm looking for. All right, Jess, so I, I do think, though, it's significant. I don't want to downplay it. I mean, what Sarah just said about your role and what it means to essentially be a pioneer for women. Like, how does that play into your mindset when you're accomplishing these things, but you also understand that you're opening doors for future generations? I mean, I think the biggest thing is, first of all, you just want to do your job well. I mean, I think the most important thing is, Sarah knows this, there's a ton of women that, of course, not enough women, but there have been women that have been before us that have opened these doors and allowed us to be able to at least have the opportunity, allow our bosses to kind of have a little bit of foresight of like what this can be, what women can do, um, you know, talking men's sports, you know, having radio shows, you know, all the different things, um, women's involvement in sports in general. Um, but, you know, I feel like, you know, the biggest thing is just more of, you know, why, um, you know, w- once we're, we're here is like just being able to do our job in a way that makes us stay. So not have it be the one-off like, oh, isn't that cute? We had a woman. She's here. Oh, my gosh. Okay, goodbye. Like, which honestly has happened in the past where it's like headlines. Great. A woman did it. And then they never do it again. And it's like almost like a company thing or whatever, like. Um, and I know Sarah knows this too. It's like you want to do it and you want to do your job in a way that's like, no, I'm here because I'm good, not because I'm the female, not because it's right. some, you know, headline. Um, but then more importantly, 
I think about future girls, women, but also dads. Like, that always hits me is actually the men that are listening um, because there's so many men out there that, whether they have daughters or a powerful mom, and they're the ones making a lot of the decisions, and they hear a woman's voice. And then whether it's just hiring a vice president in their company or, you know, being able to give a female a chance they might not have um, wherever their workspace is, that to me is important. Or taking their daughter out to play sports instead of thinking, oh, this is my daughter and she's not into that and not giving it a chance. I mean, it's huge, Jess. It's huge what you're doing. Jess Mendoza with us here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jess, it, you know, World Series is all tied up. Uh, Rays and Dodgers, very different teams. But something that a lot of people are remarking on, especially after last night's game, is pitching changes and whether the game is just not as interesting, not as exciting when we don't have the storyline of some ace that we want to see if he can go a complete game or how deep he's going to last. There's obviously a strategy to it, and, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I do think it affects the viewing experience to have it be this constant rotating in and out of arms instead of those guys whose names you know and you want to see if, if they can hold it up at, at the postseason level. 100% agree. Um, so I did an entire sports center hit this morning on because Tampa Bay won, right? And so it's easy when the Dodgers won. It's Mookie Betts. It's Clayton Kershaw. These are names. We know them. Let's talk about them. Um, but when it's Tampa Bay, everyone's like, okay, like, obviously Brandon Lyle had the two home runs, but I wanted to kind of dig deep and like, why is Tampa Bay here? Why is this team good? And ultimately, I highlighted Nick Anderson, Pete Fairbanks, and Diego Castillo, the seventh, eighth, and ninth <laughs> inning pitchers. One of them, by the way, threw two pitches. <laughs> they are the stars of this team, and yet you will see them in the game for maybe about 10 seconds. You might not even see them. But ultimately, that is, period. Why Tampa Bay is here, if you're going to pick three guys, it actually isn't the best. It, their starting pitching is good, but it's their bullpen led by those three guys. And I built an entire package on three bullpen pitchers. Like, that's where we're at. And I agree with you. Like, it, it, people are, I can hear them changing the channel, turning it off when we go through eight pitchers by one team in one game. Mm-hmm. So, Jess, can three bullpen pitchers beat the Dodgers in a World Series? <laughs> no, not not just those three guys. But if they can get it to them with a lead, yes. The key is, is with the Dodgers offense, you know, you look ahead to game three, you got Charlie Mount- Morton on the mound. Can he get them the lead? Blake Snell did that. If you're not in the lead, first of all, Kevin Cash isn't going to use all three of those guys if they're not winning. He said that. He will not chase the game. So he will put in other guys kind of just – keep his best guys rested. But if he can give those three guys a lead, then that's a big deal, right? Because you got to get ultimately to like mid-sixth innings, which, by the way, how sad is that to be like, if starter can actually go like mm-hmm. to the sixth inning with a lead, that's the Rays' best shot. But we've seen how powerful the Dodgers' offense. And, oh, by the way, the Rays have to get that lead against, in game three, Walker Buehler. Jess Mendoza with us here on Spain and Fitz. We talked about this on our show the – Monday? Time is a flat circle. I really can't remember. But we talked about this matchup and sort of the idea that when it's your team, you want them to spend big bucks and get the best players they can. But if it's anyone else's team, you hate them for that. What is the vibe that you're getting around these teams? Is it, well, the Dodgers are sympathetic figures because of the last couple years? Or is it, screw the big league team, let's go for the underdogs and the Rays and their low payroll? Like, What's the conversation that you're hearing? Yeah, everyone's pulling for Tampa. Like when I talk to managers, coaches, players on other teams that don't have, you know, 
uh, you know, name in the fighter, uh, whatever there's some saying there that I'm totally dog missing. Dog in the fight, a horse in the race. Dog in the fight. They don't have one of those. <laughs> and so they literally, <laughs> so they're literally just looking at it from, these are people that are, you know, within baseball that, you know, are playing, coaching, and managing within it. And they really look at Tampa Bay as like, what they're doing is pretty darn magical. You know, obviously them beating the Yankees was so, and it wasn't huge. I mean, they won the division. They beat the Yankees eight out of 10 times in the regular season. So it wasn't some sort of Cinderella story by any means, but it gives, you know, I think there's at least 20 teams in baseball that don't have the payroll that even touches the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Yankees, and so the, the Cubs. So you, you really look at the Rays as a team like of hope, like, yes, like we can actually just be smart and know our stuff, and we can beat the Goliath of the baseball world. I'm also curious, and, and this is a very sports radio conversation, but uh, big picture, not just in the months right after the World Series, What's better for baseball? Is it for that small market team to prove you can do it and here's the analytics to use and here's the formula? Or is it because of the way ratings have dropped across almost all sports except for basically the WNBA? Is it better for a big team, big stars, lots of merch selling, et cetera, for the Dodgers to win? Big team, big stars. I mean, let's be We want these underdogs. If you're involved in the sport, you always want kind of the underdog story. If you're involved, it's just, it's great, but Mookie, I mean, just the names, the Dodgers. I mean, I think Fox cried when the Yankees did not make it to the World <laughs> Series. The idea of a Dodgers-Yankees World Series would have blown the sport, you know, to a whole nother level. We all know. We get it. It doesn't matter what sport you're covering. When it's a big market team, when you know names, when people – just fans. I mean, the Dodgers do that because they came from Brooklyn, so they have this East Coast, West Coast. Like, it's a very national – team you know different if it's the angels different you know obviously there's a whole list of teams that it doesn't work for and tampa bay is one of those so yeah it's ultimately better for the sport when the big name teams get in it but my hope is is that just because i love the game that okay so you're watching for the dodgers but kind of like take a look for a minute at what tampa bay is doing and how Mm -hmm. they've done it and you know understand eric neander understand honestly andrew friedman who is the gm president of baseball operations for the dodgers coming from tampa that his blueprint that he set was the reason why he got hired in L.A. And a lot of the biggest moves that L.A. made wasn't actually buying Mookie Betts, but it was getting guys like Max Muncy and Justin Turner who were let go of their other teams and recognizing talent and player development. Yeah, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from this World Series, even if the actual uh, watching experience is a little bit different with all the pitching changes and uh, neutral site and all that. Well, it's a quote-unquote travel day, so uh, they'll take a rest and get back at it tied one-to-one. So will you, Jess. We look forward to hearing you on the call tomorrow. Thanks for the time. Absolutely. Let's talk again. I miss for you guys. For sure. Zooms hey, Jess, and wine. Great work. Zooms Thanks and so much wine. That's yeah. all we got. I want in on the wine and cheese next time. Come on. I won't. Listen, we'll do a pre-interview. We'll test you. We'll see what value you can bring, and then we'll see if you make the cut. But what happens on the Zoom stays on the Zoom. That's right. I'm all in. I'm all in. You guys, If you guys only knew Mendoza's dismount from the last Zoom, it's not to be shared on <laughs> Disney Radio. I'll tell you that much. Thanks, Jess. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>